It's great to see everybody this morning. Just so you know, my original plan yesterday at noon was to come up here singing Country Roads, but now that would be more of a song of lament for me this morning, so I'm not going to go that direction, but congratulations to the Tennessee Volunteers for their win. I'm sure I will continue to hear about that throughout the week. Um, seriously, though, uh, if you were a guest with us, my name is Pastor Jeremy. I am so, so excited that you are here with us this morning. Um, as Pastor Josh had said, please give us six weeks. If you are looking for a church home, give us six weeks to find out more about us and get to know us this morning. Um, I'm also very excited uh, that we will be baptizing those three um, young children this morning. Uh, all three of those families are in my life group, and I have been close with those families, and, and I've got to see those children uh, discipled and, and raised um, in a Christian home, pointed to Jesus Christ, and, it, and it's just a special time to be able to see uh, baptism this morning, to represent that they have truly um, died to themselves, and now they are alive in Christ. It's just such a great picture this morning. I'm also very excited as we continue in our series of 1 John this morning. Uh, this has been a very convicting book of the Bible, as all books really should be, that point us towards God and show us who we are to be in Christ. Uh, but First John has been very good for my soul, um, and as a church, we've been going through it together. We've been going through it on a Sunday morning. We've uh, been going through a reading plan. Uh, you can find a copy of the reading plan out these doors or on our website. Also, Behind the Message. I'm going to shameless plug for Behind the Message on Wednesday nights because I teach it. Uh, Wednesday nights at 6.30, you can come uh, downstairs to Behind the Message where we go deeper into the sermon from the Sunday before, and we have pastors and leaders from our church that are there in the Behind the Message class, uh, and there's a question and answer pencil, you, a panel. You can ask them whatever question you want, and they will hopefully be able to answer that. Um, so this morning, uh, we will uh, be in 1 John 3:11 through 24. So if you have your Bible with you or you have a Bible app, I invite you to turn it on this morning so you can follow along in God's Word. Uh, you can also find the sermon notes on the TCBC app or on the website. Um, and follow along. So today, obviously, is Sunday. Uh, I have spent the entire week in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Which means I had to fly there. Now, if you know me well, you know I don't like to fly. I do not like to fly. And I have flown a lot. I have flown several times over the past 20 years. I have flown around the world. I mean, I have been, I spent a lot of time in the air. I really have. But I hate it. And, and the part that I hate the most is turbulence. You know what I'm saying? Turbulence. Because you're that, it just doesn't seem natural that you could be that high in the air and all of a sudden just be doing this. Or the sideways turbulence is what really gets me. Like Las Vegas. Anytime you fly to Las Vegas, I've had meetings out there, you get the sideways turbulence along with the up and down. To me, that does not make any sense that you're that high in the air and you're all doing this. Now, I see Pastor Gene looking at me kind of smirking like he thinks it's funny because he's flown more than I have. When Gene started flying, they still fed you steak and you could smoke in the plane. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's true. It's true. But, but personally, I just don't like the turbulence, right? And my wife knows this about me. My wife knows this about me. And uh, my children don't, you know, because I want my children to think I'm tough and so is the last thing, you know, as I'm walking out to the car, the last time I'm going to see my family before I get back from Dallas, you know, I'm sitting here walking, trying to strut it like I'm Captain America, like with my bag, when really inside it was like dead man walking. You know what I'm saying? 
like it was rough. And my sweet little precious Camille, my baby, six years old, the last word she says to me after I hug her and give her a hug and tell her I love her, and she doesn't know I'm afraid of planes, she says, Daddy, you know those things crash sometimes. <laughs> I look at my wife like, I mean, that was, it's the truth. They do sometimes, right? Statistics are low, but they do. It's the truth, and it's the truth I didn't want to hear. And to be honest with you, I don't think it was very timely. <laughs> but as we've been going through 1 John, we have been challenged. And we've been hearing some things we probably don't really want to hear a lot of times in our flesh. But unlike my daughter's comment about plane crashes, the truth of God's word is something we need to hear, and we need to hear it often. We need to hear it often. Because God uses his word primarily to reveal himself to us. And in doing so, he uses it to convict us of our sin and encourage us as he continues to transform us to become more like Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of every heart. Church, will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name of our hope and our salvation, our Lord and our King. May we hear from you this morning. May we not hear from a man, but may we hear from you and the truth from your word. Please use your word to convict us of our sin, to reveal yourself to us, to discern our hearts. Use it to prune us and to grow us, to become more like Jesus Christ, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we see in 1 John, as we've been going through the series over the past few weeks, we see that John is writing to this church, right? So he's writing to a church or a group of churches, and he's trying to provide them assurance to the readers that they are children of God, that they are true children of God. He's answering the question, how do I know that I'm truly saved? How do I know that I'm truly an adopted son or daughter of our Heavenly Father? He says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. And John doesn't answer this question with just his opinions. He answers this question by going back to God's Word. Now he writes this letter to give assurance to the believers in the church. But he also does this to convict those who aren't truly in Christ. Because it's possible you could truly be in Christ but have doubts about your salvation. Personally, that is something I have struggled with the majority of my life. Growing up as a child in, in high school and college, there were, I had a lot of doubts about my salvation. I can't tell you how many times I prayed the prayer. I mean, there was times in my life that I know that I prayed that prayer 10 times a day because I saw every little sin in my life and I was like, how could God really forgive me? Maybe I'm just not really saved because I keep doing this thing. And I struggled with that. And it wasn't until I saw God's word or really got deep in God's word that I truly found what gives me the assurance of my salvation. He gives it to us. But it's also possible to profess to be a Christian and have false assurance. Throughout this letter, John provides comparisons between true believers and those who are not true believers. And some of these we've already gone over as a church. Here's the comparisons. He says, true believers who walk in the... And I paraphrase this. 
True believers who walk in the light compared to unbelievers who continue to walk in the darkness. Children of the one true God compared to those whose spiritual father is the devil. That's strong. True believers who stand firm in the truth of the gospel compared to the antichrists that pervert the truth of the gospel. He compares those who are truly alive in Christ and those who are still, still spiritually dead. And this morning we're going to see true believers, the comparison of true believers that love the body of Christ compared to those of the world who hate the body of Christ. So let's begin in 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of life into death because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what, and do what uh, pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And we love one another. Just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Today's big truth that we're going to focus on from this passage is those who abide in Christ's love will love God's people. When John speaks of love in this passage, he is not talking about being infatuated with someone. He's not talking about merely just liking someone. He's not talking about a special affinity you may have like you have for your favorite ice cream or your favorite season of the year. By the way, favorite ice cream, cookie dough. You want to get me a cookie dough blizzard sometime? Come on. That's fine, right? No, he's talking about something much deeper. John is speaking of a love that can only be characterized through the lens of the gospel. It is a sacrificial, selfless type of love that results in actions that align with what God has declared to be good and holy. This type of love is often fleshed out in how we serve others. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian, said this, Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. They have work marks in the lapels of their coats. They've hung chains about their necks and even had special haircuts. Jesus makes it clear and that the distinguishing mark of a Christian is that they love one another. Having a love for God's people does not earn us a standing with God. It does not earn us a good standing with God. But it is evidence that we are in good standing with God. That we are his adopted sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. It's evidence of that. Jesus himself says this in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you. Talking to the true disciples. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, while we are certainly in the Bible called to love all people created in the image of God, that's every human being on earth, right? Despite our difference, we're called to love them. This particular passage, though, is referring to a special love that believers have with other believers. This is to be the mark of the church, the people of God. You should be able to identify who the people of God are based on how they love one another. Sadly, though, love of other believers is something that we don't always see within the church. We don't always see it. We often see a lack of love within church between certain groups based on ethnicity, socioeconomic status, personality differences, right? Difference in appearance, tattoos, earrings, whatever. Let's be honest. Over the past two years, it has really broke my heart that we have seen more division and more lack of love within the church based on the polarity of political differences. That if you vote Republican and you watch Fox News, this means you're da-da-da-da-da. Or if you voted Democrat and you watch CNN, well, that must mean you're this. That is absurd. Often within the church, we also see a lack of love between groups based on their past sin resume before they came to Jesus Christ. Because this person was this as a sinner and they committed these sins before they came to Jesus. But I didn't commit those. Listen, church, truth is, all of us were once dead in our sin and declared enemies of God. All of us. If you don't believe me, go to Romans. It's all by grace. We didn't earn it. The fact is, God calls true believers to love each other despite their differences. We see this in the book of Acts. All believers had things in common. They sold their stuff and gave to others as they had the need. We see Paul and those who were with him in ministry, how they just lived sacrificially for the church, for the sake of the gospel. See this. But God doesn't just command believers to love one another. He also grants them the capacity to love one another. Romans 5.5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If Romans 5.5 is true of you, then you will have a love for God's people. If this describes you this morning, then you should have assurance of your salvation. If this does not describe you this morning, then this should be a sobering fact that I pray convicts you this morning. Those who abide in Christ's love will love God's people. Jump back into 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now anytime we see a for this, we need to go back and see what for this is about. So 1 John 3, 9 through 10 says this. He just says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. But, but this, by this it is evident who are the children of God. Who are the children of the devil? Who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. The absence of life and the absence of love in the life of a child of God is inconsistent with the message of the gospel. But why does John have to remind 
this church that God's people are called to love other believers. This is only 50 to 70 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that long since then that now we find ourselves in 1 John. How did they forget? Why do they need reminded? Though this group had heard the gospel originally, they were not anchored in the word of God. They were not anchored in the word of God. It was not a firm foundation in their heart. And in addition to that, they had folks come in and teach false doctrine and taught that brotherly love was not essential mark of believers. So in response, John is directing his readers of this letter to go back to the message they heard. Go back to the message they heard. 1 John 1, 5, he says, This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. Then he goes on in 2.24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son of God. Right? So he's saying just go back to the gospel. Have a firm foundation in the gospel. And we find ourselves in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Those who abide in Christ's love will love God's people. And the cross is the measure of true Christian love. The cross is the measure of true Christian love. While God has always commanded his people to love one another, he has always commanded his people to love one another. Love had never been manifested perfectly until Jesus went to the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect model of the love God has always commanded. It's the perfect measure of true love Listen to me. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, you know you're not a believer, please pay attention. Just please pay attention right now. If you are a believer and you have assurance of your salvation, please pay attention right now because I pray this never goes old to us. But what is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is that God is our holy creator. And despite that he created us and loved us and gave us everything we needed, we sinned against him. We rebelled against him. And now we live in a broken world. So if you are here today and you're not familiar with Christianity, you're not a believer, and you're wondering why the world's so messed up and we have cancer and we have death and people are hating each other and everything, it's because sin has created a broken world. And we are broken people. But not only are we broken people, we need a savior we need to be reconciled back to god we need to be reconciled back to god so jesus the son of god god himself came to earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and he died the death that we should have died isaiah 53 3 through 6 says this he jesus christ was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one of whom men hid their faces and he was despised and we esteemed him not. We're talking about God here, the Son of God. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, Jesus Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every way to his own way. And the Lord has laid on the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, in the perfect 
depiction of love, came on this earth, died on the cross, took on the wrath of the Father upon himself out of love for us to pay for our sin debt. And out of love, he tells us, just come to me. He says, come to me. Repent of your sin. Believe in me. That's what Jesus says. He says, believe in me. I'm your Lord and Savior. I'm here to get you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to make all things right again. All you have to do is have faith and re- believe and repent of your sins. That is the truth of the gospel. Christ is the measure of true love for all believers. Amen? Now, after stressing the importance of love in 3.11, John contrasts the children of God who love one another to the children of, devil, of the devil who do not. So very quickly, we will see through verses 12 through 17, there is a difference between how God's people love each other versus how the children of Satan um, hate and are indifferent towards the children of God. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Uh, we don't, for the sake of time, we don't have time to go into Genesis 4, but essentially what happened is there were these two brothers, Cain and Abel, right? They were the first offspring of Adam and Eve, right? So go back in Genesis and look at this, but if you find in Genesis 4 that Cain and Abel were brothers, right? Abel offered a sacrifice to God that God commanded. Cain, on the other hand, did not. Okay, he offered fruit of the ground, which God did not command, Okay, so God considered Abel righteous and Cain not. So Cain became envious of Abel, right? And a hatred built up from this envy, and then he murders his brother. What I want you to notice this morning, though, is Cain is not presented as an atheist in this passage. He's presented as a worshiper of God. But Cain and his self-styled religion ignored God's command for it was an acceptable sacrifice, and he became, envious, he became envious with his brother. That envy led to hate. That hatred led to murder. So what's the point? Children of the devil masquerade as true believers. They attend religious gatherings as Cain did. They may even bring some offerings. But in their actions themselves, they prove not to be true disciples of God because they have no love for their brother. As Christians, as disciples of Christ, we don't have to guess as to what love is. Love has been demonstrated on the cross. Love is not a mystical object with a definition that is defined as whatever is relative to us. Scripture is clear as to what love is. God is love. God defines love for us. God commands us to love like him. Throughout the New Testament, Christ is the measure of how we are to love one another. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Man, what would it be like if we loved our wives like Christ loved the church? Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another and forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Church, what would our local body look like if we were quick to forgive one another? I think life group attendance would be higher. And I don't mean that just for the sake of checking a box, but I think if we were quick to love one another and forgive one another, our community would be a lot stronger. Ephesians 5, 3, 1 through 3. Starting with verse 2, rather. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Here comes the two-edged sword. 
Men, if you're leading a woman into sexual sin and adultery, you're not loving her. You're not loving her. The so-called love you say for her might be infatuation. or You might like this girl a lot. But that so-called love looks a lot more like hate in the eyes of the Lord. Beloved church, envy and coveting within the church is the root of much of the hatred within the church. It led to Cain's hatred of his brother, which led to murder. I know this morning this is heavy stuff, and you might be looking at me like, hey, bro, I've never murdered anybody. I've never murdered anybody, right? Jesus said that hatred and murder are from the same heart. Matthew 5, 21, 22, you can read it. But he says they come from the same heart, and he looks at them the same. If we are to love like Christ, we must put away the envy and hate that so often plagues our hearts. The cross is the measure of true Christian love. So just like Cain, who is evil, hated his brother, who is righteous, the world which is evil will hate those who have been declared righteous in Christ, who are trying to live out that righteousness. The world is opposed to the love of Christ. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised. Don't be astonished. Don't be taken back. It appears that some of, these, some of John's readers may have been kind of surprised that the world was hating on them. Because he told them, don't be surprised. John 15, 18, Jesus said the same thing. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. John 17, 14, I have given them your word. Jesus, the Son, praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now let me make sure that we are crystal clear about something. There is a difference between being hated for living your life like Christ and for being obnoxious. Those are two different things. So think about that before you make your next Facebook or Instagram post, all right? Let's be smart about that. But Jesus isn't declaring that the world may potentially hate God's people. He's declaring that the world does hate God's people and that God's people will be persecuted by the world. He's saying expect it. But you know, today we live in a society of cultural Christianity and this illusion of cultural Christianity has caused us to be taken off guard when we are hated by the world. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. We live in a culture of comfort. We live in a culture of comfort. And because we live in a culture of comfort, we like to be comfortable. And whenever the culture persecutes us for being Christians, it makes us feel uncomfortable. So, so often what we do is when the world makes us feel uncomfortable, we then change our biblical worldview to match the worldview of the culture. And then we take away, we do away with what God calls biblical Christianity, and we adopt this thing called cultural Christianity. A cultural Christianity that does not require us to love other believers. A cultural Christianity that doesn't require us to love our husbands and our wives or spend time discipling our children. A cultural Christianity that does not require us to love other believers based on their ethnicity, socioeconomic status, personality, you just fill in the blank. A cultural Christianity that does not require us to share the gospel with our neighbors or go to the nations. I know we're almost out of time, but I've got to tell you this story real quick. 
I was in Dallas, right? So I shared that with you. I was in Dallas. And once the plane safely landed, so we didn't crash, right? Um, I got in a taxi with my bag, and the taxi, the taxi driver took me from the airport to my hotel. So I strike up a conversation with this guy. Okay, he's from uh, the northeastern part of Africa. Okay, northeastern part of Africa. And in talking about him and his wife and his family, it, it, it dawned on me he's most likely Muslim. He, they've been here 15 years, lived in Dallas, Texas, 15 years. I asked him, I said, hey, man, uh, care if I ask you a question? He said, go for it. And I said, um, are, you, are you Muslim? He said, yeah. I said, how long have you lived here? 15 years. Has anybody told you about Jesus? No, what do you mean? He said, no, what do you mean? I said, that Jesus is the only source of salvation. No, never heard it. Fifteen years this man has lived in Dallas, Texas. Now, I've got to believe there's Christians in Dallas, Texas. And also, I've got to believe that there's people not from Dallas, Texas, who have been in his taxi for 15 years. Cultural Christianity has watered down the mandate to share the good news of the gospel. Cultural Christianity allows us to get in taxis. We spend 25, 30 minutes with a captive audience, and we don't share the gospel. Pray that we stop looking like the world, a world that is opposed to the love of Christ. Love for God's people gives us assurance of our salvation. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, who does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Once again, Eternal life is not earned by loving other believers. But loving other believers and sisters in Christ is evidence. It's evidence that one has made the transition from death to life. The absence of Christian love indicates that no one or that one has not passed from death to life. Now going back to the thing like no murderer has eternal life. Let me explain this. This does not mean that a believer can never commit murder or that someone who's committed murder can never be saved. That's not what that means. But it does mean that those who are characterized by hateful attitudes towards others and those who continue to murder are not true believers. Now we know that even believers at times get angry with our brothers and sisters. We know that. But God commands us in his word in Matthew 5, be quick to reconcile, be quick to forgive one another. So love for God's people gives us assurance of our salvation. True Christians Love always also results in action. True Christian love always results in action. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. This is the gospel. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in, tr in truth. How do we know what love is? The cross. The cross. We just sang about it in all to us. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. He's all to us. In addition to laying down our actual lives, this also refers to the giving of goods, time, money, attention, whatever that may be. It's not always laying down our life. Very few of us are ever going to be martyred for helping another believer. right? Most times it's not going to require that. But it will require our time, our money, our attention our time investing in people to disciple them. Verse 18, 
Little children, let us love, not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. When we see a need of another believer and we have the means to address that need, it's not enough for us to just encourage them with empty words. It's not. It's not. Not if we have the means to help them. We're called to demonstrate the cross and live and serve our brothers and sisters sacrificially. True Christian love always results in action. And when true believers love like Christ, we have confidence before our Heavenly Father. By this we shall know that we are the of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Church, God knows our heart. He convicts us of our sin by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when he convicts us of our sin, we know that we can come to him, as a, that he's our gracious Father, and we can repent in the name of Jesus Christ, and God and Jesus has covered all of our sins. We know that we can come to him as a loving father. My son, Clayton, my best pal, I love that little guy. And sometimes I say, Clayton, come here, buddy. And he comes flying to me, and he knows I just want to hug. Because I just like hugging my little guy, and I've talked to enough people who've had kids, and their kids are older, that my son's not always going to want to hug me like that. So about ten times a day, I'm like, buddy, come here, just a hug. But if he did something he wasn't supposed to do, which does happen quite a bit, and I say, son, come here, his response is, you going to spank me? And then when it looks so cute, I'm like, I don't know now, to be honest. <laughs> There's a difference in how my son approaches me based on whether he's been um, considered guilty or not guilty. In Christ, we come to the Father as not guilty because of Jesus Christ, and we can have assurance of that. So when true believers love like Christ, we have confidence before our Heavenly Father. I ask the band to come back up as we close out. When Christ's love abides in us, we can be confident when we pray to our Heavenly Father. Verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, this doesn't mean we just ask for anything we want. When we pray, we pray according to God's will in our lives. We see that Jesus prayed like that, too. We see it in the Lord's Prayer. But when we rest in God's love for us in Christ, we will trust that His will is good. And when we trust that His will is good, we will pray in accordance with His will being done because we know it's good. When Christ's love abides in us, we can be confident when we pray to our Heavenly Father. Last point, and I'll be done. Obedience, faith, and love allows us to rest in Christ. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. As you're in your seat, I just want you to think. Just think to yourself. Cry out to the Lord in prayer and ask him. Does your love for other believers reflect the love of Christ? Do you have assurance of your salvation this morning and how you love other believers? Are you loving others in word or tongue? Empty words. Or are you loving others in deed and truth? Does your love for other believers look like Christ on the cross? Maybe you're not a believer this morning. 
beg you this morning to rest in the gospel, rest in the love of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe today. He doesn't want to punch you in the face. He doesn't want to spank you. He wants to love you. I don't know what sins you've committed. It doesn't matter. All of us once, enemies of God, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are now sons and daughters of God. You can go from enemy of God to son and daughter of God like that by accepting Jesus Christ, turning now to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. You've loved us perfectly in Jesus Christ. You've loved us by giving us your word. You don't leave us to ourselves. You give us the gift of your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word to guide us. Father, please transform us to cause us to be more like Jesus Christ. May we be a people that love one another, that is so apparent to the rest of the world that they see such a stark contrast between us and the rest of the world that it glorifies you and you use it to draw people to yourself. May we love each other so well that when the world does hate us, that we stand firm in our foundation and we continue to look back at the truth of the gospel and we live in light of who we are and that our perfect joy is in you. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.